Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of the Citrix Session. Andy Whiteside. This is actually a part two. Uh, last week we did part one, but let me introduce my guest for you real quick. I've got uh, Bill Sutton, who's on with us. Uh, Bill's a director of services, consulting services here at Zentegra. Hey, Bill, you busy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty darn busy, Andy, for sure. I don't know if you noticed when we were going through the stuff this morning what the what the utilization was last week, but it was over 100%. So um, that's uh, that's really good and really bad in some ways. All right, so I'm no math major, but I guess I, in theory, if you go more than 40 hours a week on a consultant, then it does hit 100 plus percent. It does. That's how it got there. Well, that's a good but yet still problem to have, right? Yes, it is. So if you're listening to this podcast and you would like a job doing consulting in all things virtual desktop and DAS and EUC and uh, workspaces, I know a company that would entertain talking to you. So do I. Yeah, I made a couple phone calls for you after our management meeting, uh, looking for the next uh, the next great Zintegra resource. And look, it's a great place to work. We you get to touch a lot of stuff. We have a lot of fun, and you're part of a team. I got to do the math, Bill. I bet we're over a thousand hours of EUC experience on the consulting. And oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we got Jeremy Myers with us. Jeremy also runs a team of uh, engineers. You guys still call them sales engineers over there, Jeremy? We still call them sales engineers. We do. We do. That's the official title. It, uh, it took me nine years before I decided to change that over here, and we now call them solutions architects. But in almost every conversation, somebody mm -hmm. still drops the SE acronym or sales engineer on me, and I'm like, no, don't call it that. You know what? There's a there's kind of a bucket of terms that kind of all relate. So you know, there's SE, there's solutions architect, there's system engineer, there's you know, there's um, um, solutions consultant, all the things. But we all answer to all of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, as long as you can answer the technical question that's causing the issue with the sales challenge process, then that counts. Yep, you got it. And that's why we do this. So that's why we bring on our guest hosts, uh, Monica Grismer here to talk to us. And we try to get in head, ahead of those conversations and hopefully maybe start more conversations. But it's not from a lack of education and knowledge. It's uh, because you're more interested in the topic. Monica, how's it going? Yeah, going well. Thanks, Andy. Excited to be back on the podcast here, your local product marketer from Citrix, just kind of sliding in and out when possible. But now excited to join for the part two. I heard y'all had a party without me and I just couldn't miss the second half of it. So wanted to jump in, add a little bit more co color commentary and and have these conversations. So excited to be here. Well, and that's my fault, guys. We're not having you on part one. It's just uh, this one popped up on our radar before we did the podcast last week. And we're like, oh, let's do this one. And then about 10 seconds into it, like, oh, we should have invited Monica. Hold on. <laughs> uh, but we, we got you on number two. So that's good. Um, give us a little background on the blog. Since you wrote it, why, did, why was it important to write this blog? Yeah. So on the product marketing side of the house and just the product side of the house here at Citrix, we have a lot of internal conversations on why people want to use our products, right? Why does it matter to them? And we use conversations like on-premises versus cloud, different types of cloud computing, you know, thinking about what is VDI, what is DAS. We have these conversations internally all the time. I'm sure you all can attest to that. And that's a basis of what we do. And what comes out externally a lot is how you execute, why it matters to you, which is great. But we kind of looked at each other and we're like, these questions that we answer internally, these conversations that we have internally, why don't we make them external facing? Because if we want to know this stuff and we're talking about this stuff, I'm sure customers, partners are doing the same. So it's it was really a process and a team effort of putting pen to paper and just getting back to basics a little bit. So Excited to kind of get to spearhead with other colleagues of mine some of these basic questions that, you know, the internet wants to know, our customers want to know. So that's kind of where this spawned from. And some of the most basics is on-premises on versus cloud. We've been having over the past years, the four years that I've been here, VDI versus DAS, what is this? And and then the basics are, are on-prem versus cloud. So that's kind of where it spawned from was just getting back to basics. And in your mind, when you were writing this, were we talking about on-premises being the control plane and cloud being the control plane? Or was this the, the workload um, on-premises versus the, versus the cloud? Or was it a little bit of both? 
It's a little bit of both. I think in recent years, how we've defined it is more where the control plane lies and but also where your infrastructure lies. So I think before on on part one, you all were talking about um, security and having to you know purchase those servers and having control of it. So obviously that's the infrastructure itself. But when we talk about it a lot, um, we we think control plane. There's different ways to slice it. A little bit of both, but probably control plane heavy is where I was coming from on this. And I just brought up the Gartner page where I think Gartner has really defined all of this desktop virtualization, whether it's uh, the desktop or apps or in the cloud on-premises as a uh, an overall solution space. And then when you get specific around as a service, then it comes into um, you know the uh, the hosted platform and maybe the infrastructure as well in a cloud or did I just totally screw up the way Gartner's trying to teach the rest of us to talk? No, I, I think you're definitely on the right track here. And and there's a million terms out there. I think we're we're trying to get out ahead of the, the DAS term because it means different things to different people. There's also the concept of like, so DAS encompasses, like you're saying, the cloud-based control plane and infrastructure. There's also some concepts of hybrid DAS. So having the control plane in the cloud with infrastructure on-premises, which we'll get to kind of at the bottom of this blog at the the later half of this conversation. But no, I think DAS is kind of all-encompassing with with cloud computing, which I think we'll get to today. Jeremy, Bill, any, uh, now that Monica's had a chance to Tell us what the blog was about. Any additional input or questions? Um, I mean, I'll just start by saying that I feel justified because we were right. <laughs> what did we say last week, Bill? That it was a little bit of both, for sure. Yes, we did. Um, but you know, I think there's two things that Monica said. Number one, um, Daz. You know, I think maybe five years ago, maybe even two years ago, um, you know, Daz was a term that you thought of in terms of almost like a like a virtual desktop vending machine. Like you put a quarter in, you got a desktop, right? So. You know, I think about the quote unquote DAS vendors from a few years ago where that was kind of, you know, what it was. So Desktone, exactly. This was kind of the solution I was thinking of. So, you know, there was like VDI and then there was like DAS and Desktone was kind of like the, the DAS. Um, but I think what's unique about Gartner is they've they've defined, defined kind of a spectrum of DAS now. Um, is some of it being customer owned, some of it being vendor owned and really there being some sort of, you know, gray area in between. And so I think that that's definitely new. Uh, and then the second thing was um, we we say the word cloud, but I got to be honest, m- many of my conversations with customers, we spend the first 15 minutes trying to deduce what that customer means when they say cloud mm-hmm. and making sure we are articulating you know, correctly kind of what our version of quote unquote cloud is. In fact, in a lot of cases, we lean towards you know, a service. So it's not like Citrix Cloud, it's the DAS service or the endpoint management service or one of these services, because I think that's a little bit clearer what that might mean as opposed to, you know, listen, what do you what do you think about Citrix Cloud? Yeah. Well let's yeah. let's jump into the big three, right? The big mm-hmm. three, um, the granddaddy of them and with AWS really kind of leading the way in this in the in the early days where it was infrastructure as a service where you know if I'm being snarky it's just somebody else's computers in their data center that you access as if it's a server well you know what before I do that Jeremy when's the first time you use the cloud either professionally or personally and, and it doesn't have to be IaaS but just in general because whatever you say is probably gonna be wrong maybe unless oh, you're, unless uh, okay first time well, you suppliers ever use the cloud Oh my. Okay. Um, so I'll just say this. Um, when you put that last caveat on, of course, my, my, my head went right straight to like an Azure, but first time I used the cloud, uh, 1995 Prodigy. I used the cloud for email back in the day. Prodigy was your email. And I'll just, was, stop. I'll just focus on you for a minute because you knew exactly where I wanted to go with this. Did you have any idea what those email servers look like and how you connected to them in the data center and you know what hard drives they were running? Did you have any clue what that was? No idea. And if you were going to try to whiteboard it out for somebody, you would have probably just thrown this big cumulus cloud of stuff and said, it comes from there. I have gotten very good at drawing cumulus clouds to represent services. Yes. And and at the end of the day, that's what the term cloud comes from. But I talk to people in technology daily that have no idea why we call it the cloud or better yet clouds. 
And that's where it comes from. You got something that you needed as a service from something that you didn't know or didn't want to understand. Mm-hmm. So let's just draw a cloud and we'll assume that's where the rain comes from. I mean, it's, you know, we like to say sometimes things are a black box. It's really sort of a white cloud is what it is, right? It's just, I don't know what it is. Don't necessarily care what it is. You know, all I want out of it is a service. Yeah. And then you probably uploaded your pictures to some other cloudy thing. And that that point you realize, hey, that's not a cloud. That's clouds. I got a cloud over here for my pictures and a cloud over here for my email. So I don't know where you, so I don't know where you sit on the 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 Google slash Apple spectrum, but you know what's interesting about that is there's a lot of folks that don't realize they use the cloud, right? Because when you take a photo with your iPhone, it automatically goes to iCloud whether you know it or not. So it's even becoming more transparent than it used to be. Well, I had a moment this morning where I had to take a picture of something on the side of my house, and I was almost going to email that picture to myself. But by the time I set my phone, I took out went outside, took a picture. By the time I set my phone down and went to my OneDrive where my photos backed up to to send it to myself, kind of sort of, it was already there. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's powerful. I like that. Yep. Yep. You nailed it, especially when you have three boys and their photos from their iPod show up on your feed, uh, unbeknownst to you. And uh, that could be that could be a good or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Romano skipped right there. <laughs> right. All right. So let's all right. Let's hit the big three. Um, Monica, since this is you're the guest host, uh, these three that you have documented, um, IaaS, PaaS, and software as a service. Do you want to help define those? Because pretty much everything falls into one of those three buckets with some evolution. Yeah. I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with infrastructure as a service. It's the the servers, VMs, storage everything that you would primarily host on premises yourself, but hosted somewhere else. And I I love these stories of like the cloud, right? Because I was born into basically more of a cloud era. Not, I'm not that young, but you know, the the, vast majority of my life, it's like, oh yeah, it goes to the cloud. Sure. And until I entered the field of technology, I still thought it was pie in the sky, you know, just send it somewhere. But yeah, it's, it's those, obviously those infrastructure, it's hosted somewhere. There's these big server rooms. We all know this. So that's, that's mostly infrastructure as a service to have those servers offloaded somewhere else. Then you go into PaaS, which is platform as a service, which is more of that, you guessed it, on-demand platform um, where software, software development can happen, like deployment, delivery, testing applications, and that that sort of a deal. And then um, I see pulling up AWS here. Definitely, um, AWS is hugely developer-friendly and, and a great platform as a service option. And then lastly, we have SaaS on the list. So software as a service, and that's kind of everything we know and love of a subscription-based service that you can access via web browser, updates and maintenance are are included. So, I mean, we've got anything from consumer facing, the Netflixes of the world, any type of, I don't know, my Fitbit, whoop, like whatever, everything. I was having the discussion this weekend that everything is SaaS, everything is subscription, no matter what you run into. On our side of the camp, we've got all of the services that that we offer. So, I mean, and then DAS is kind of in that realm of desktop as a service. So those cloud-based desktops that you can offer on demand. Um, all of so the, those are the big three. All of them trace their roots back to these three. And mm-hmm. then there's like DAS or DAS. Like I heard device as a service and desktop as a service. And everything can be tied back to where they fit into one of these three original players, right? I totally agree. Yep, these are these are kind of the the parents of all of those other substrains. And, and Monica, as you started to talk, and you said you were born kind of in the cloud era, I had this epiphany to myself that when when that, when that will really be applicable is when your birth certificate becomes an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I age myself backwards a little bit too much, but I mean, think of the true Generation Z crowd. I, I don't know if the birth certificate will become an NFT, but probably pretty darn close. I would not be shocked when, you know, anything we do is not physically a, a part of us or physically like tangibly owned by us. It's somewhere else. And that's a, that's a whole different ball game. Imagine all the things it would solve if your birth certificate was a digital thing and you could just expose anybody to it. You wanted it to securely. The inverse of that would be somebody taking advantage of that. But at the same yes. time, Get social security card, 
at the end of the day, maybe it would be more secure. It would just be have to be secured differently than the way it is today. Well, and it prevents those moments where you wake up in a cold sweat and you're like, where is my birth certificate, right? Where you're like, where in the world? So if it was just in this proverbial it's on, cloud somewhere. It's on the blockchain somewhere is where it is. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bill, anything to add to the idea that these three are the, the um, nucleus, the granddaddy of all the... No, I, I mean, yeah, these these absolutely are. And and like you said, uh, you know, there are a lot of offshoots of this, like DAS, DRAS, um, other, you know, as a service type of offerings. And like Monica said, a lot of things are really everything that we are dealing with now is going to subscription. Uh, you know, the the idea that you paid for cable TV and which was a subscription, and now you're adding Netflix and Hulu and Disney and all these other services um onto that that you may or may not have gotten before. Um, that's just examples of, of things in society that are going to more of us on as a service model. I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen a Netflix server. No, mm-hmm. no. A lot of Netflix. And Bill, you said DRAS. Can you define that one? DR as a service. Disaster, Not recovery. disaster recovery. That's what I thought. Which is Integra offers from a <clears throat> perspective. And if you want to go really see what it is, it's just a bunch of Nutanix servers in our cage in a cola. Nice. Uh, but and I had somebody I heard somebody talk about this last week when I was at, in Canada. I mean, that's that's what the world wants. That's what the world needs. We don't need to be building out data centers with no. stuff in it that we buy and maintain. We want somebody to have it available for us and be able to, to be you know, held accountable for making sure it's there when I need it. Hey, um, while I've got Citrix folks on with me, um, Citrix desktop as a service, DAS, which used to be CVAD, Citrix Virtual App and Desktop Service. Where does it fit into these three? So it is, it's platform as a service, so it's PaaS. Um, you know, I think it's it's getting a little bit gray, but, you know, in terms of like DAS, you know, so it's not hosting, you know, at the end of the day, there is some level of infrastructure as a service, but that's from Citrix's perspective, right? So, you know, we're hosting not in a Citrix cloud, but we're hosting it in some kind of infrastructure somewhere. But what we're providing to our end users, to our customers, is a platform as a service. So, you know, these whole these different things sort of bleed over depending on your perspective. But, you know, that's definitely where the DAS service sits, you know. So you don't have access to, you know, the, the underlying infrastructure. You know, it's just a service. It's a, it's a DDC in the cloud, if you will. It's storefront in the cloud, all those all those pieces. Can you openly talk about the IaaS that sits under the pass? Um, I don't know. I think we all know, but I don't know. <laughs> but but you know that there's a there's there's servers mm-hmm. in somebody's data centers, and maybe you. I mean, I think it's public knowledge where you're where it was born, right? Yours. Um. Yeah. What do you got, Monica? <laughs> no, I'm almost certain that it is. Um. And yeah, they can slap my wrist, but so we operate on top of Azure. Um, and that's kind of where our infrastructure as a service sits. But also we've um, introduced two additions on the Google platform where the infrastructure specifically sits on top of Google as well. But the beautiful thing about any as a service is that and what we're the root of what we're getting to is that the it the end user shouldn't care and the admin shouldn't care really where it's hosted. There's some things depending on you know, compute and consumption, if you already have funds with different hyperscalers, and we can have those conversations all day long. But at the end of the day, it's basically Citrix as a service. It's our platform running on top of the infrastructure that we can can worry about and have conversations on. But um, yeah, I it, it definitely spawned from Azure. I don't think that's a secret with our our relationship with Microsoft that's over 30 years strong. But that's that's continuing to grow and we can be more agile as a company on on where we put things too because of just the agility of cloud in general. I mean, if it was a secret, Monica, it was the worst kept secret. Let's be honest. Right. I don't that's why I was like, I don't think it is. <laughs> if, if I'm putting the cat out of the bag, then that would be shocking to me. You know what though? Um, and you know, I've made this argument for years is I think the only reason folks are interested in where it sits is because there used to be a scenario. In fact, it's still a scenario where you know you managed all those components, and so when they went to a quote-unquote cloud, folks were interested. Like if Citrix had always been born out of the cloud, you know, listen, no one would be asking where it sat because it was always just a service, right? You know, I never wondered where Desktop sat because it was from the ground up always a service. It was always a pass kind of service, 
or actually even probably more a SaaS service. But yeah, I think the only reason it piques people's interest is because they know all the components that sit on-prem. And when you run those as a service, they go, well, where are those running, right? But had this been born out of the cloud, probably no one would care. No one should care. That's right. As long as it works, no one should really care. Mm-hmm. Um, vendors might care a little bit, but even they shouldn't care that much. How about this? So I uh, I pulled up um, citrix.cloud.com, which is my login to manage my environment. How about the argument that citrix.cloud.com is a management SaaS so that software as a service that allows me to interact with my platform as a service, which is, you know, Citrix DAS, that is all sitting on top of Azure, which is IaaS. It's all three coming together just by that going to that one web page. I mean, this is the circle of life right now, Andy. You nailed it. Yep. This is my yeah. management console as a service, aka SaaS. Mm-hmm. It gets me to my platform as a service, which is sitting on top of IaaS. And at the end of the day, I'm delivering a desktop or virtual apps to my end users, which is desktop as a service. I, I can't tell you how many people I interact with, even in our industry, that are responsible for building this stuff that don't understand that that's what just happened. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I think you just blew Monica's mind. Yeah, I mean, Andy, you're, you're coming for my job. You're just trying to <laughs> trying to write all the marketing materials here. Jeez. <laughs> don't want me writing blogs. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Teacher, my literature school guarantees you, you don't want me writing blogs. <laughs> Uh, so let's. So the next section here talks about there are often other technologies included in this to make it all happen. Uh, starting with uh, one of the most recent ones, which is well, actually, let me add one to it. Virtual machines. We've all grown up and lived around virtual machines. When we talk about true cloud architectures, virtual machines are over uh, the waste of space and weight, not space, but waste of compute. Therefore, this thing, uh, the rise of containers. Uh, Bill, we'll let you start here. Containers. What what is a container, and why is it important in IaaS and PaaS and SaaS worlds? <laughs> well, when I when I think of containers, I think of Netflix because every movie you spin up is an is a is a individual container. It's an abstracted part of of an underlying operating system that it's really an application in some respects that runs creates a shell, creates a, a bubble, if you will, in which you install install or write your applications into a container. They run within that container. They can interact with other containers as needed, but it's kind of a programming construct, if I if I understand it correctly. Um, sits on top of, obviously it's got to sit on some hardware, uh, some somewhere in the cloud, but at the end of the day, it really is a, a programmable um, construct that uh, that developers write towards, and then those containers are then stitched together, if you will, to form a, a generalized application. Um, they they store things, they store applications. And and to add to that, you've said it, but I'll just highlight it. It, it doesn't require segmentation at a machine level. It requires seg- segmentation within an operating system. Yeah. So I pulled up the screen for you guys. You can see it and people to watch the video later. It's just this. It's just a bunch of stuff riding on top of one big thing that knows how to play well together. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about containers is, you know, number one, it makes the best use of the underlying operating system. Yes. So you could have multiple containers sitting on top of a single oper- operating system. So to Andy's point, you know, listen, if you had 10 virtual desktops, guess what? You have 10 copies of Windows all running. Whereas when we talk about containers, you could have several containers all running on, you know, the same Linux system. So we're talking about Docker containers, things like that. Yep. But I think what's interesting is when we talk about containers, we're usually talking about pieces of application functionality, right? And being able to quickly scale out that functionality. So, you know, just to, to use your example about Netflix, you know, you might have a container that is responsible for serving up the actual content, the video you're going to watch. But we all know that what, what's available to you depends on where you're coming from. And so there is another set of containers, which, by the way, might be owned by Netflix or it might be a service that they're getting from somewhere else. That's the where does Bill sit container. So it's doing all the geolocation services. And so now applications become this weird thing, which are just buckets of functionality where maybe Netflix is just really, really good at serving up the content. But now they need to know how to streamline it, where you're coming from, maybe a security thing. And all of that together, again, is, is completely you know, transparent to the end user, but, you know, containers make it easy to like scale up and scale down, right? So if there's a brand new, um, you know, TV series that comes out on Netflix, um, it's easy for them to scale up on the fly uh, and then scale back down depending on what that, that consumption is. So it's a fascinating concept. 
Anything else to add on containers? I, I've, it's been kind of a mystery to me, but it's come together within the last couple of years. And because it's a mystery to me, okay, so it's not a mystery to the college kids I talked to today. That's all they talk about yeah. um, because they don't know what virtual machines and physical machines even were. Yeah, I think it's definitely become much more prevalent over the the recent years um, and kind of that that abstraction and having everything you need in these little little boxes is easier than it's like a lightweight virtual machine. So why would you deal with the full scale of a VM if you can just do do the container part? So, yeah, I think it's also interesting as you say the college kids or the the up and coming admins here. You know, we're used to this container era. We're used to the GUI era. We're used to things just kind of automatically working. Not to say a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of sharp folks in every generation that can make things work, but the way in which we have worked is is fundamentally different. So, so yeah, I, I think this is kind of the new way going forward, but curious to see how it all plays out over the years. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, and we won't go into this topic now, but maybe a different time, a different discussion for a different time is the stuff that we grew up on physical machines and virtual machines and it infrastructure conversations that stuff is not going away and there's a whole generation of people that have never been exposed to it so you know it comes up all the time in my world who's going to support that in the next generation and i do bring it up here because i think the future is what we're talking about here on the screen not only because there's benefits of it but because the old guys that uh, you know manage those virtual and physical machines they're not going to be around forever, and this uh, new generation is going to just expect it to be done as a service. Yeah, I I think that's a really curious question as well, and I know there's a lot of folks who are curious enough about it. My background is not in IT, but I'm grateful to be in it now. Um, but there's still folks that are that are building and putting in the work, but it's not as prevalent, right? Because it, I feel like a lot of individuals coming up in this even in recent years, 10, 20 years ago, in order to get anything to work, you had to build it yourself. And if we, if it's not a necessity, then we'll, we're not as quick to learn it, but I think it will, life is cyclical things, industries are cyclical. I think it will come back around and become a necessity. I've, I've had conversations about that too. Don't know how it's going to play out, but would love to conspire on it on another podcast. <laughs> I'll just tell you what I was at a, a conference for managed service providers. I got broke. I got brought into a special session, and the guy started off by saying, uh, "Anybody over the age of um, anybody over the age of anybody under the age of forty in this room." And there was probably fifty of us, and there was only one guy who was under the age of forty. The managed service provider, as an infrastructure guy, uh, is a dinosaur, or going to be a dinosaur. So if you're a young kid out there, you can still go learn Unix and make a living doing Unix. You, you may be the only, you may make a lucrative living doing Unix. Probably. That's where I was heading at one point in my career and uh, the Citrix thing got in the way. All right. Uh, all right. So, Monica, you've got the mic, so let's let you keep it serverless. What is serverless in terms of technology that's impacting this uh, SaaS, PaaS, IaaS conversation? So. Um... Looking at serverless, how it's defined here is offering those application components to be used in an on-demand fashion to reduce those resources when not using the application. So instead of having those physical servers on-prem kind of running at all times, you can use things as needed. That's that's the beauty of the cloud. So that's just kind of the quick hit definition we have here. I have a question for Jeremy on that one. That's, That's always been a good conversation, but in the end user compute space, you really just had to budget on the maximum workload. Let's say it's a higher education for the mm-hmm. peak point of the entire semester. That's what we had to build for. Is the serverless really apply in a EUC workspaces DAS world? Um, I'm not going to say no, but I think where serverless computing is a concept makes sense is you can almost think of it like within programming, you had functions. Right where you know you just had this block of code that did this one very specific thing. I mean that's kind of where serverless is, right? So when you look at maybe the AWS version of serverless, it's being able to leverage compute power from AWS to run some function and have it return something back to you, right? Um, it's not. When I look at serverless, I immediately start thinking in terms of oh these virtual machines are going away, and maybe that's true, right? But you know it's more like it's more like functions as a service or compute like micro compute as a service where you're just using someone else's compute to run a function 
to come back to you, right? So it could be to go back to that Netflix example, it could be, um, listen, I don't want to run this service that is the the geolocation service, right? I just want to send something out to this this platform that's going to give me an answer. And that's what I'm going to use in, in my code. So it gets into like a really weird area of coding, which I think is just fantastic because now if I'm a infrastructure provider and I'm trying to make the best use of my resources, you know, heck, I'm charging folks based on the use of those functions. And I can't remember what AWS is called. It's Lambda or something like that. I can't remember what it is, but it's just a completely different concept um, that even sort of takes containers and makes those look a little bit outdated, right? Because now we're not even packaging up things where it's just, you know, functions as a service is essentially what it is. I think my comments as you were explaining that is mine's kind of a legacy way of thinking of it. If I have scalability up and down of the clouds Mm -hmm. and I don't have to worry about, is it there or not? It's supposed to be there serverless and on-demand functions like you were just uh, alluding to it. Mm -hmm. It becomes a reality as long as we assume that there's enough compute there when we need it. Yep. Uh, Bill, you want to take a attempt at this workloads comment here? Um, well, sure. Well, these are application services and resources that run in the cloud. So um, might want to pass it to Monica since she wrote the article. But I think I think that th- what this is talking about is really what we were talking about earlier, which is the whole concept of IaaS. If I'm unless I'm missing it, Monica, you want to weigh in here because this is a little bit nebulous to me. Yeah. So I think um, we use the word workloads internally, so we're just kind of defining it here and. It could be IaaS, but I think here it's more like what's coming from that that IaaS. So what more mm-hmm. of what is being delivered? So those applications like the desktop. So those the workloads are kind of what we're talking about. So we've got the the platform itself, the Citrix platform. I'll put it in context. The Citrix platform, and then the the workloads are those virtual apps, virtual desktops, everything that's kind of running in the background that we deliver as well. But I think workload can be defined a few different ways, but it is a bit nebulous here. Um, probably should have fleshed it out a bit more, but I think that's what we were. I was trying to get at. It feels like home, Monica. For old guys like us, it feels like home. These are machines <laughs> that it's going to sound yeah. funny that we can we can hug for sure. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, it's like the opposite of serverless, right? Even though serverless isn't really serverless, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think what uh, what is okay about this is there's, there's workloads that we all know we have today and that we'll have new ones in the future. And we can rely on IaaS, PaaS, or SaaS to be the underlying components that enable this to be there when we discover that next workload. But Jeremy, I kind of want to edit this blog and say it's a machine that you can hug. I I, I would put that Myers, in there. It's a machine you can hug, right? Yeah, put the put the quote and then put the dash, Jeremy Myers. <laughs> I would highlight about Zintegra, right? We can offer IaaS or PaaS or SaaS to our clients, and if you really have to, and we've had to do it a couple of times, we'll take you in the data center and let you touch the servers. <laughs> can't do that, but to some people, that matters. They want to see it, smell it, experience it. They want to know it's there. And then never have to see it again. I had a had a customer last week tell me they wanted to, they didn't want the cloud because they wanted to be able to hold it. And I go, okay. So maybe maybe don't use me, Monica. I can yeah, I can't give you my customer name, but yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So next section some of the biggest advantages over cloud computing, which is all those three things we talked about a while ago, um, versus on-premises deployments. First one. Uh, Monica, we'll go to you. Cloud solutions enable scalability. I think the pandemic uh, showed that. I was a little worried at first that uh, we were going to find out that the cloud wasn't scalable, but then I think it did step up. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this one's pretty obvious, especially with the example you just gave of being able to scale both up and out on demand. So if you've got that business continuity, you need to get people working from home, you can scale up to hundreds, thousands more users as needed. And that's the benefit of the cloud. You're not confined to that physical data center space, even though you can hug it and touch it and smell it. That still is a finite amount of space that you have within a data center. So if you need to, when you we talk about bursting to the cloud, adding capacity, if you um, have a new merger, anything, it's just that ability to be a lot more agile. That's the biggest underlying factor. Without uh, pulling out your 
I'm using another old term here, checkbook, mm. money on something that is going to be needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and depending the the route that you go, I think that kind of goes into the next point of, of cost savings as well. We get there. The cost is um, a conversation across every industry, across every business. You've got to meet your bottom lines. But with a lot of cloud computing, you can leverage more of what you need and what you actually use. So obviously you can burst into the cloud and that might be an upfront cost, but with things like, for I'll use a Citrix example, with auto scale, you can dynamically scale, schedule load-based scaling, and just make sure your, your VMs and your, your servers aren't running at all times and racking up costs when you don't need them to run. So I got ahead of myself there, but I, I think that's another benefit too. Can you imagine if, you know, the pandemic had happened 10 years ago. I'm just, I'm thinking about number one, right? I mean, the whole idea of scaling up because you had to work from home, you know, trying to acquire all the hardware required, not just the hardware, but the cooling, the power and cooling in a data center, like all those things, you know, we, we have customers of thousands of users that send everyone home, right? Now, how do you, how do you support that? You know, the supply chain would have kept everyone, you know, they wouldn't have worked for weeks just to, just to spin that up. So it's amazing how the timing on that, Jeremy, apply apply all of us, you know, living from home all the time and, you know, Netflix mm-hmm. and things like that as a service. Imagine if we had to go to the Blockbuster and walk around in like hazmat suits. We would have done it. <laughs> well, and also apply how we're operating right now, the unified communications platforms that I could I can jump on and be physically thousands of miles away from you all be in the same spot. Right. That's also SaaS. So enabling that it yeah would have been a totally different story 10 years ago but i think yeah. i think the one of the the key things you guys have said is when you're talking about like the pandemic and and without the cloud is the ability to scale up um if you didn't have the cloud to invest in all that hardware assuming you could get it flip side of that is when the pandemic was over and people slowly albeit coming back to the office you got all this hardware that's no longer being used or at least not being used as efficiently the ability of the cloud to be able to scale down is equally as as beneficial as the ability to scale up. That's really that kind of that kind of that kind of uh, leads into what you were saying, Monica, about the second part, which is around the costs, mm-hmm. uh, as being able to scale back if you need to, um, and the resulting savings that you get from that that you wouldn't get from a physical infrastructure in most cases. Um, the next section talks about uh, simplifying the management of this. Obviously, there's an element of the end user experience, yes, but you know, having the a world where you no longer have to take that crash cart around into a data center, or you have to use that tool to load a you know a six U server into a rack, which I used to just try to pick up and do all by myself from time to time. Um, you know, that's that's better. I mean, it is. So, you know, I, <clears throat> I spun some virtual machines up yesterday and back in the day trying to request storage from the from the sand guy was put the request in it'd be the whole nine yards. Right. Whereas now I got three options. It's either premium SSD, it's standard SSD or it's standard hard drives. That's it. And then the rest happens in the background. I just get told how much it's going to cost. And that blows me away, even from the networking side. Right. So, I mean, I've got subnets that we have created, but Man, back in the day, it was the three-tier architecture. You know, how's that? How's that look? What am I plugging into? Give me a port. Now it doesn't matter anymore. And so, it's 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 simplified it greatly. Sometimes I forget because you know I haven't plugged anything into a switch in a long time. But man, it's unbelievable. Just the the, the flows you forget about. And, and I'm going to assume that Jeremy's old enough, Bill's old enough, Monica. I'm going to assume you may or may not be old enough. I literally used to spend hours. I used to stay up all night. I used to sleep on my couch putting CDs, DVDs, DVDs, floppies, floppies into a machine just to get it to a point where I could then turn around, do something to it, and break it and try to try to figure out why it broke. It was miserable. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, we got a limited amount of time. Cloud computing improves availability and uptime. Um, you know, there's an argument that people think they can do it better, and, and maybe to some degree, in certain cases, they can. But for the most part, the systems in place to keep these things up and going is better than anything you can do on your own. 
Exactly. And, and just the thought of, right, when you work with these major cloud providers or any cloud provider out there, you're relying on them, but so are tens of thousands, millions of other people. So we keep on bringing the Netflix example, like <laughs> Netflix goes down, like you're not the only one that's mad about it. Uh, you know, uh, so they, they have teams of people solely dedicated to this more than what any individual company could usually do on their own. So, so that's the the biggest thing there. And, and you've got other folks to, to keep accountable for that and to troubleshoot it in real time if something does happen. And a lot of times these cloud providers have failover techniques. I know for us as well, if, if there happened to be something, we have service continuity capabilities, or if you're in a hybrid environment, just the concept of local host cache can keep you up and running, even if something does go wrong. So I, I think that's that's huge. And having those dedicated teams is is really big for uptime. Guys, any additional? That's obviously, I'm sure, a big objective, objection you guys hear is uptime. Um, and as Monica pointed out, there's a lot of eyes on it. It, it makes sense for more people. It makes sense for a lot of people to go this route, even though they think they can do it better. Yeah. I mean, this probably comes up at least once a week with a customer is sort of an objection. And, you know, usually the question is, you know, well, just look at your own infrastructure on-prem, like how, how up has it been over the course of the last year? And, you know, I'm not trying to poke fun at anyone, but, you know, most of our customers, most of the engineers of our customers, I mean, they, the project list that they've got to manage and the things on their plate are not focused to things like uptime all the time. Right. And so, you know, this is, you know, this is something that, you know, the cloud providers do, you know, it's kind of like a, this is what they do, you know, and not just that, but, you know, if you're hosting workloads in a cloud, you know, some of the tools that they make available are so simple. It's a drop down for an availability group now. So, you know, back in the day, I didn't, I had to architect that sort of thing. Now it's again, yet another drop down to turn on and that's it. Yeah. <clears throat> The other one that comes up a ton, uh, security is better in the cloud. Jeremy, sure you hear that one every week. How do you defend that? Um, <clears throat> you know, when it comes to security, um, <laughs> it's always a tough one because there's multiple layers to security. But again, sometimes I ask the same question is, you know, you've got teams of folks on your team. I mean, this, this is what they do. And it's a shared responsibility for sure. Um, you know, we're specifically in the Citrix model, you know, we are making sure we define what that responsibility is. So, you know, from a cloud perspective, um, you know, we take care and we focus in on like the security of the platform itself. In fact, I would argue in certain cases, you know, you take something like the gateway service, right? You know, you know, that versus in the visibility in your network versus like say having you stand up your own ADC and having to patch it and keep it updated. Um, you know, I would argue that we probably do a better job of that than you do. And not sounding cocky, but, you know, it's just less footprint, right? Um, in terms of um, what you're running versus what we're running and what we're good at. So, you know, that one comes up quite a bit. You know, at the end of the day, it's usually data sovereignty that matters. And so, you know, that's where we have the conversation with the customer around, you know, you pr protect the data, you know, we'll protect the platform. And between both of us, you know, we find the model typically works. Well, that's a good point, right? You don't, you can still leverage clouds, mm -hmm. public mm -hmm. cloud, private cloud, IaaS, DAS, and your crown jewels, keep them wherever you want. Mm -hmm. And Andy, I think you actually just prefaced the next section beautifully. <laughs> yeah, he <you> did. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to you. Well, maybe. Maybe. Well, I, I, okay. I live in a world where you know, I'm spending a lot of money. We, as a company, are spending a lot of money to build out our own private cloud that we interact with public clouds and on-premises private data centers. We 100% believe that it's not cloud, it's clouds. And sometimes it's a variation of clouds that are going to be the answer. Absolutely. Yep. And I was going to make that point about security as well, is if you have if you have workloads, if you have infrastructure that you have to keep on premises and you've invested in that, keep it there. We we don't balk at that at all. So wanted to reiterate that point for sure. Or like in my case, you put it in a semi-private data center and you put it so close to the public cloud networking wise that you really don't even know it's not in the cloud, but you get the benefit of isolating 
onto your own dedicated hardware, maybe your own dedicated rack, maybe your own dedicated cage, if that's what you need. Right. Well, I mean, I think it goes back to your business requirements, right? So you have to understand things like the data sovereignty, right? So that will define where your workloads sit. Um, sometimes it'll be something completely money related. So maybe you've invested in data center resources that accounting needs to hold on to for the next two years before they can depreciate it. You know what? You're going to have to stay on prem. And then sometimes it just makes sense from maybe a DR perspective. So we talked about DRAS where it's more cost effective to use cloud infrastructure as a DR solution um, because you're not building out something on-prem. And eventually maybe it does make sense. Maybe you got a sweet deal with Amazon or Microsoft or you can just forklift everything you got and put it in the cloud. You know, again, there's an economy um, here that, you know, you just got to understand, but the, the ultimate solution is, you know, it's going to fit wherever, you know, I've talked to customers who have moved everything to the cloud and then moved part of it back. And at the end of the day, you know, where the workloads live or where the workloads need to live. And usually the business is driving that. So Monica, the last section, as you mentioned, I was kind of tying, tying us to that one is hybrid cloud solutions for the best of both worlds. Just can't stress enough that clouds enable Clouds enable flexibility. It doesn't have to be all one way or the other. You want to kind of run through the uh, the highlights here that you're calling out in this last section? Yeah, so we, we jumped in here with employee experience. So I think two things that, I mean, Citrix does a lot of things in, incredibly well, but two things that we do really well are ensuring those high definition HDX technologies are, are working great at all times. And then also having that platform, having that platform as a service where you can integrate your on-premises infrastructure, your public cloud, your private cloud infrastructure, all from a single pane of glass. So that's powerful for the admins. We've been speaking about the administrative experience almost entirely up to this point, but you can't lose sight of the user and making sure they have everything they need when they need it. And so the great thing about hybrid cloud is that as an end user, I shouldn't and won't be able to tell where this infrastructure is is seated. If we're saying the the admin shouldn't care, then the user really shouldn't care. At the end of the day, you just need to get their workloads to work. And if you need things like someone is running AutoCAD, you need more graphics cards for them, you need that on demand, you can spin up exactly what you need and configure exactly what you need for your teams and have the flexibility to do so. So wanted to mention employee experience because that's always top of mind for us and hybrid cloud lets you configure exactly what you want. Well, and at the end of the day, everything we do should be about employees' ability to use the technology solutions and experiences should be top of mind no matter what we're architecting. Yep, absolutely. Uh, hybrid cloud provides comprehensive security policies. Um, you know, I, I use the example I brought up here on the containers, right? The actual title of this one, where did all the shipping containers go? Uh, if you have it in the cloud and it's managed as part of something else, first and foremost, you can have an idea where your stuff's at. And you're not like I was as a uh, data center administrator at one point. I couldn't tell you where all the servers were and who had them and what happened to the retired ones because you know, it was just too much to manage. Now, all of a sudden, it's just part of a single pane of glass. Absolutely. And I don't think I brought it up in the in the document here in the blog, but with the ability, uh, cloud computing gives a lot more data in real time to both the, the customer, the admin, and Citrix. So with things like analytics integration on, on any front, on any cloud platform, being able to look at what's happening in real time with that data coming in has been, I know, huge for, for Citrix customers. And I think just this influx of data happening lets you be more secure in general. If there's an impossible traveler, if massive amounts of data are being downloaded, you can you can terminate sessions in real time. So I think analytics is worth mentioning as well. Without a doubt. You, can, you know where it's at. You can see what's coming and going to it. You just have to turn that on and then at the same time enable um, uh, technologies to keep an eye on it when you're not looking. Absolutely. Right, next one says uh, improved IT management with hybrid cloud. I think it kind of goes back to what I was talking about a while ago, but just having your hands on where things are and what's happening. Um, in addition to that, what else would you call out? Yeah, so I think um, 
the beauty of cloud as well is that it's an evergreen solution too. So you don't have to do those manual upgrades. I don't know if we've spoken to that or if you spoke about that before. So not only trying to spin up or get more data, more infrastructure in real time, like you don't have to deal with that during disaster recovery, during business continuity, but also just the fact that you can push those upgrades through more easily. You can manage everything much more seamlessly and you get that constant rollout of new features in real time. As we've evolved, we give new features in the cloud and on-premises, but you can get them in the cloud more quickly. And it's on a rolling thunder cycle instead of having to wait three months or if you're on the LTSR track, two, three years to get these new packages of updates, you get them in real time. So I think that helps with IT management as well as a side note. And keep, in, keep in mind, right, that you, there might be an update or something that actually breaks something, but you've got hundreds, if not tens, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people using it. Somebody's going to find it much quicker than you'd find it all by yourself. Great. Yeah. yeah when we, uh, well, yeah, the only thing I'll add here is, you know, what, what's been typical for a lot of customer conversations, Andy, is, you know, when they have multiple data centers and they're leveraging like on-prem resources, you know, solely, you know, the consulting solution has always been set a site up in each of these spots and that whiteboard gets very ugly very quick. And so like it can't be understated just how simple it is having a single spot to manage multiple different locations. Uh, like that's a big deal. And a lot of folks don't realize that until they get into it. But, you know, that, that's a huge one um, for sure. Yeah. And then finally, this last one, which we've talked about a little bit with the on-premises mm-hmm. conversation, your, your ability to reuse, uh, or like in my world, maybe we end up buying what you had and moving into our data center. Therefore, it's cloud. I've got the right camera here. Cloud to you. Um, mm-hmm. Still cloud, uh, but there may be ways to, especially with a partner like us, have ways to kind of leverage what was and what is and then put it all together however you think it needs to be. That's also cost-effective and sustainable at the same time. So and you don't have to ditch everything that you've already built. We're not asking you to do that. We're not asking you to kick servers to the curb to start collecting dust. Use them, reuse them, put new software on top of them. Um, You know, as you get, uh, yeah, sustainability is big, especially in, in Europe and I think across the world now. So use what you've got. It's a powerful thing. Uh, one of our best customer stories, we have a customer that we basically took over their old hardware, put it in a uh, cage across the aisle from their existing infrastructure. And at that point, it was cloud to them, but it's not your traditional way of looking at cloud. Right. And then we back it up into our data center somewhere and they get what they're looking for. Guys, I'm, I'm out of time. Um Summing this up, right, the last section talks about how Citrix solutions empower organizations to adopt hybrid and multi-cloud um, environments and strategies. Look, I think that uh, I think you could the first time I ever saw Citrix in the late 90s and what it was doing to deliver something from somewhere where I didn't have to know where it was coming from. Uh, at that moment, it was coming from someone else's data center. I had no idea what it looked like. That was cloud. Um, it just wasn't cloud like we see it today, but it, all the same logic applies. Absolutely. All right, Monica, thanks for jumping on for part two. Uh, appreciate the insight, Jeremy as well, uh, Bill as well, as always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been All great. Right, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. See you guys. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys.